This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Yo, yo, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 259, recorded Thursday, March 4th. Oh, March 24th. 2016. I started saying March 14th. <laughs> well, you sort of caught yourself in time. Yeah. Uh, seemed like you're in a good mood today. Uh, sort of. I just had a nap. Well, I don't put anybody in a good mood. Yeah, I'm in a pretty good mood. I just woke up from a nap maybe a half hour ago. That's good. But yesterday you had like an eight hour drive. So that's why you needed a nap today? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was been, it's been a long few days. In, right. 20, in 36 hours, I spent 16 hours driving and five hours talking to people. How many, you drove 16 hours to talk to people for five. That's correct. How many Tim Hortons <laughs> coffees did you drink on the trip? All of them. How many would that be? <laughs> I don't know. Like I a, stopped at every Tim Hortons I saw. Does that help? <laughs> so did you have like two on the two on each way, three on each uh, way? I, I, I had a coffee on the go at all times. At every moment. So as yeah, soon as you were finished one, the next Tim Hortons, pull over, buy a new coffee. That's right, yeah. It sounds like a road trip. Yeah, it was a road trip, that's for sure. Uh, and you were by yourself, so it must have been a little bit boring. No, no, it was fun. I was listening to a book from Audible, uh-huh. and uh, it was it was great. Hello. I enjoy driving. I enjoy driving by myself. I enjoy driving up to the Sioux. There was uh, very little traffic. I had whole sections of the highway to myself. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, I would be driving, and I'd spend three to five minutes without seeing another car, in either direction. Right, right. Well, just as long as you don't fall asleep and drive off the road. I did not fall asleep and drive off the road. That's good. And uh, you said hi to your mom for me? I did. Good. That's nice. She she says hi back. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? That's great. Well, I'm glad you made it back safely. You made it back just in time uh, because happy friggin' spring. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's not spring-like at all where we live. There was a stupid ice storm last night. Yeah. And it seems to be still going on, so um, I don't know why I live here anymore. I need to move somewhere where the weather is nicer. You were born here, Chris. That's why I live here. But Yeah, you didn't I, have much of a choice. I'm not so sure that's a good enough reason anymore. I'm 40- your family was here, you met your wife here, you got married here, you started a family here. You're here because this is where here is for you. I know, but I'm 41 years old. Isn't it time maybe I decide that here is somewhere where you don't get an ice storm at the end of March? Yes. It is time. See? This is what I'm saying. Las Vegas, my friend. No I'm, ice storms in Las Vegas. I'm moving to Vegas. There you go. And if there is, it's the sign of the apocalypse. I yeah, hear. it's all over by then. Okay. By, by the time they get a nice storm, you're pretty much screwed. Anyhow, we are here to do our listener feedback show for uh, the latest episode of The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of it. So why don't we dive right in? Sure, sure. Listener feedback. Uh, I take it I'm going first, as usual. You take it correctly, sir. All right. I take it. All right. So this first email comes from Bob on the internet. And Bob says, My holy crap moment from twice as far was when Denise caught the bolt in the back of the head through her eye. I was expecting the group to be ambushed, just not right then. I had completely let my guard down during her speech, thinking that the writers would not interrupt this profound moment. And then they did. That was awesome it was pretty good <laughs> that period was period awesome no there's no no there's no period after the was. Almost, sorry yeah so that period was awesome there you go there you go i'm glad we got that right it yeah. was i mean 
can we can we talk about something really quick here, Jason? Is it Walking Dead related? Yes, it is. Awesome. And, and it's Walking Dead comic related. And I ha- I hesitate to bring this up because it is a spoiler for the comic. Um, but I but I think it needs to be addressed. Address it, sir. And I'm pretty sure you've read to this point in the comic. You've read up to number 100, and I think this happens just before that. Um. Anyways, this is comic book spoilery, so if you don't want to hear this, jump ahead a little bit. But um, the way Denise died on the TV show is the way another character dies in the comic. Are you aware of this? I am. Well, if I am aware of this, I've forgotten it. All right. Well, Abraham gets killed in the comic the way Denise went in the TV show. He's walking along with Eugene, and they're having a conversation, and out of nowhere comes an arrow, goes through his face, and for a moment he keeps talking and then falls down dead. And um, the reason this was so shocking on the show is that, number one, it happens to a different character, Mm -hmm. but number two, there were plenty of... Um, opportunities in this episode for it to happen to Abraham. For example, at the beginning, when him and Eugene are walking down that alley, and yep. I'm thinking to myself, oh my god, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, and then it didn't come. Well, that's because it was raining. During that scene while they were standing in the alley uh, talking, there was uh, actual rain falling on on them, mm-hmm. and uh, you can't shoot arrows in the rain. Really? Is, that's, no, that's... you can't. That's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> thought so. <laughs> That's like saying you you can't ride a bicycle in the rain because well it's a proven fact that you cannot gain weight on a wedding weekend so that's that really that's a thing yeah too? you can that's a thing too you can have as much cake as you want at the wedding because you can't gain weight at, weight on a wedding weekend weird I've never heard that but okay I'll take your yeah. word for it <laughs> it's true uh, anyways I just I like the point that Bob pointed out that you know it was it was surprising because it was because i expected this to happen to abraham then it didn't and then you let your guard down and then all of a sudden denise gets a bolt through the head it was very surprising even though you and and overall delightful even though you didn't have any recollection of it happening to abraham no i didn't but uh i i think the scene was in the tv show it was was great but no i don't recall that from abraham maybe it happened after issue 100 I have a feeling it happened just before, but it could have. Anyways, if it didn't, sorry, spoiled that maybe, for you. Maybe maybe two pages stuck together on my copy of the uh, uh, of the issue. Maybe That's, I guess <laughs> so, and you just turned right past it. <laughs> yeah, I just maybe I just didn't notice. All right, all right. Next, we have an email from Stephen in Seattle, Washington, watching a somewhat filler, uh, somewhat filler feeling storyline. Filler feeling? Okay, yes, that's correct. My brain has sort of stopped working, but uh, we'll. Uh, We'll get all four pistons firing here in a second. We'll push forward and we'll, yep. we'll get it going. All right. So Stephen writes, watching a somewhat filler feeling storyline with Daryl, Denise, and Rosita looking for meds. And the whole time I'm wondering what's supposed to happen with this. My jaw hit the floor when a bolt sprouted from Denise's eye mid-speech. I did not see it coming at all. And this is another wonderful example of how when the writers want to be on top form, they certainly still can. Beautiful episode overall. Yeah, see, there you go. And that's kind of what I was saying. They they baited and switched us. They 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 sort of, they put Eugene in the situation. No, they put Abraham in that situation and then yanked the rug out from under of us under us by giving it to Denise. Yeah. Man, I can't speak very well either, but hey, what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, talking. Well, who wants to do that? It's overrated. Yeah. Um, Chris, a Torontonian in Philly, writes, Denise is friggin' stupid. <laughs> well... Tell us how you really feel. Her logic is completely flawed. 
Quote, you want to live, you have to take chances. End quote. That's only true to a certain degree. Daryl and Rosita killed the saviors to protect their town. Denise took an unnecessary risk to get a cooler. Her leaving the confines of the wall was not only risk risking her own life, she puts the whole town of Alexandria at risk by no longer having a doctor. Her skills are valued, and she didn't need to risk her life going on a run for supplies. That's true. It kind of is. I mean, there are... But are there some people in this situation that you need to protect more than others? Yes. Because they're doctors? That's the whole philosophy that Eugene had. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he didn't think he had any useful skills for survival, so he made up a story where he was invaluable and needed to be protected by others. That's uh, Eugene's whole philosophy up until he got caught. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I guess that does make sense. If people are going to get hurt, if you have a doctor, more people are going to be surviving injuries because you have a doctor. Yeah. Um. So what you want to do in the zombie apocalypse is designate, like, the lawyers— and, you know, those types of people, the ones yeah. to go out on runs, because you don't need Up them anymore. against the wall first. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, the legal system is much more efficient now that we banned all lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. <laughs> it really it would. Also be, it would also suck, because we'd get summary judgments, right? I guess so. And that would be uh, unfortunate for some and fortunate for others. Right. But it would happen fast. It sure would be quick. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we have Clayton in Texas. What the fuck were they thinking letting the only doctor leave Alexandria? There was an episode of Battlestar Galactica where they are asking for volunteers to go on a rescue mission. When the doctor volunteered, volunteered, the commander said, I appreciate it, but the fleet can't afford to lose a doctor. Please step back. So they're clearly more enlightened in the universe of Battlestar Galactica than they are in the universe of The Walking Dead. Right, which is pretty much a zombie TV show anyway. Battlestar? Yeah, it's the same thing. I guess right? so, yeah. They, uh, you know, humanity is completely destroyed by uh, some not-quite-living creation that they've, uh, they've seemed to have created, and they're uh, fleeing and trying to scavenge for food and a safe place to live, trying to get away from these people. It's the same thing. It's the same thing, except they're smart enough not to send their doctors out on suicide missions. Oh, yeah, and they have nukes, <laughs> which, is, which is smart. Really, really big <laughs> nukes. Yeah, and they can do uh, jump jumps that go faster than light speed, which is also a good thing, too. Did they have a word for, like, faster than light speed in Battlestar? Yeah, they jump. Just jump. I think it's called, called a jump, I think. It was, but did I, I wonder if they had a word for the technology. I can't remember now. It's been a long time since I watched that show. You know, I was thinking about that. I think I might go back and watch the entire series because uh, uh, I did really very much enjoy it, and it showed me some of the best television I had ever seen in my life, but the ending kind of confused me a little bit. And it was a bit of a letdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go back with a few years of uh, perspective mm-hmm. and see what the hell. Yeah, there's big chunks of it that I don't really remember very well, uh, mostly towards the beginning of it. Um, it's the sort of second half of that run of that show that I have much more uh, memory of and fond memories of. The first half took me a long time to get into it, so... Well, there was a whole time when you didn't watch it at all until our wives went to New York, yeah. and I camped out at your house and made you watch the first season. We watched the whole season over two days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was those were good times. Those were good times. All right. Uh, moving along here, Georgia in Melbourne, Australia. I am so mad at the writers because of how well they executed Denise's death. They tempted us with her death the whole way through the episode, and the second you think she's going to be okay, bam! Dick-faced Dwight and his stupid boy band show up. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm super upset about this. I love Denise, and I was so excited that she was finally becoming braver, and I was preparing to see her becoming become a total badass character. Yeah, and looking back, the only problem is she found what she was seeking, right? And that's always a bad thing. Well, it sort of signifies the end to a character arc. Yeah. Um, do you mean, like, are you talking literally the Orange Crush? The Orange Crush, literally, <laughs> she found what... Uh, you know what she was, what she's been seeking over the last few episodes. Sure. So I should have known then. It's like, oh crap, she found it. You know what though? I mean, in a lot of ways, Denise has found what she's seeking in in all aspects of her life. Right? She found Tara, so she found yeah. love. Um, she found her own sort of courage and skills when she stepped up to become the town doctor. When she was doubting herself before, right? Yeah. So she found her own, you know, place in Alexandria and her own purpose. And then she found the orange crush. She had everything she needed. So what else can she do other than be killed off in a horrifying and shocking manner? Yeah. And in the end, she found her own mortality. (laughs) Yes, she sure did. (laughs) Uh, Very good. Yeah. All right. Where the heck are we? All right. So Jackie in SoCal, I think the training Denise was referring to was her training as a psychiatrist and how she was trying to help them deal with her, her their suit shit. Uh, I think she was doing group therapy, not creating a gang. Yeah, m- that was my note there, um, trying to help people deal with their suit. I have a feeling that is a autocorrect error, and Jackie was trying to say how to help people uh, deal with their shit. She probably was. Sorry about that. I didn't realize it was a... Uh... A stage note and not a... Uh, square brackets. Yeah, bra- square brackets are stage notes. Sorry, yes. I got it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was something I'd been thinking about a little bit. When Denise is talking, she says, I have training. But she was, wasn't was referring to, you know, combat or survival training. She was talking about her, her doctor in training, her, her psychiatrist training. And part of the reason she brought the two out there, at least with um, Rosita, is because Rosita was as she said, alone and maybe not feeling so good. And so, you know, Denise thought maybe she could help her. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't know there was confusion. That's what I assumed when she said that. Yeah. She was bringing them out for, because of her psychiatrist training, and then she thought that they needed help as much as she did. Yeah, exactly. They could therapy each other a little bit. Yeah, they can therapize each other. I'm going to therapy you good. (laughs) (laughs) I done therapied. That's right. Uh, All right, Patrick in Auburn... Hmm. Alabama? Alabama. Auburn, Alabama. What do you think AL would stand for? I don't know. It just, it wasn't coming Australia? to Australia? No, that does, doesn't work that way. Alberta? Oh, that's AB. <laughs> that's AB. I, I don't know. Sorry, Patrick. Alabama just didn't come to me, but I got it. I got there. Good work. Uh, Patrick says, being a former U.S. Army Ranger, I was reminded of Major Rogers Rangers standing orders. Say that a few times fast. Major Rogers Rangers. (laughs) Uh, While watching Daryl, Denise, and Rosita heading back to their vehicle. The order that I'm referring to is don't ever march the same way. Take a different route so you won't be ambushed. Clearly what happened was that Dwight's group spotted Rosita walking along the tracks by herself. They set up their ambush and waited for her to return. Much to their surprise, Denise and Daryl were with them. Since Daryl and Denise went one route and Rosita went another, they should have taken a tertiary route back to the vehicle to avoid the ambush. Holy crap, that's great. It is? And it's all all Rosita's fault. Uh, Well, no. I mean, Rosita went one way to get there. Nobody thought to go a different way on the way back. 
Well, they did go a different way on the way back, but they went back the same way that she went originally. Daryl was yeah. uh, was was you know uh, following Major Rogers Ranger's standing orders. Yes, and uh, Rosita did not follow Major Rogers Ranger's standing orders. <laughs> You're trying. You're trying hard, I can tell. <laughs> trying hard. Yeah. Um, so I blame Rosita for this. Right. So she should have spoken up and said, no, 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 we got to go back a third way. But then... Uh, uh, she just should have followed the group. I mean, Daryl's obviously in charge here, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Go take... All of them go on the road one way and all of them take yeah. the tracks the other way. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's probably a good idea. And it's not a great idea to split up anyways. When you're going somewhere in the zombie apocalypse, I wouldn't yeah, think... Yeah, you never split the party. That's uh, that's a standing order from Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> okay. That's Major Rogers Dungeons & Dragons Ranger standing orders? <laughs> I don't know. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Patrick, if uh, uh, I, we need you to write in more often and tell us what the heck is going on here with a lot of this stuff. Because if you're a former Army Ranger, uh, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, about the ambush situation and which doing an ambush and all that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe you could be a regular correspondent. That'd be awesome. Sure, sure. Why not? I mean, he can at least confirm your statistic about a successful ambush killing 100 or an unsuccessful ambush killing 90% of the people. Well, we got two problems here. One is, generally speaking, I don't know what I'm talking about, like in anything. Mm -hmm. And the other problem is that somebody did tell me that, but I was in basic training at the time. So, uh, and a private, so they probably lied to me in order to make a point, right? Well, maybe, but I'm sorry. I can see that being true. Like if you're going to set up an ambush, uh, the whole point of an ambush is to, well, I guess ambush. to kill people, to, am yeah. to ambush. And you should be able to do it well enough that, that they don't see you coming and they're completely ill-prepared. Yeah. And I need more phrases in my lexicon, like Major Rogers Ranger standing orders. <laughs> I know you do. And the Army's good for that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Anyways, thanks, Patrick. That is, that's uh, interesting information about going back, just not going back the same way you came. Right. That's good. All right, next we have Michael in London. Once again, there were hundreds of bullets flying, and our heroes, and I don't really count Denise in this, escaped with, without a scratch, with just a scratch. I know it's likely to happen when Negan turns up, but man, we need a death on par with Dale or Andrea or Lori to get the emotion back in the show. Everyone who has died in this season hasn't affected me at all, really. I, you probably didn't see it, Jason, but not too long ago, somebody released on the internet, I can't remember, uh, sort of like an honest trailers type thing for The Walking Dead. Right. And they do this for movies or other TV shows, maybe. It might even be called Honest Trailers. Uh, anyways, what they what they do is they present something that is a little bit cynical, but sort of gets to the point of all the problems with whatever it is they're looking at. Yeah. And one of the things they blasted The Walking Dead for, especially in season six, was only killing secondary characters. Yeah. And season six has been a little bit like that. It has been a little bit like that. I mean, I don't f personally feel that uh, Denise, Doctor Denise, was a secondary character because she was, uh, she was uh, right up there as primary character in my heart. So, uh, but that might not be true in the uh, you know looking at it objectively. Yeah, I think Denise definitely is second tier. Um, but but like you say, I I I loved her. I I didn't want her to die. I didn't want the character to go away at all. Um, but she's not at that primary level. And I mean, who's who's all died this season? Her and Noah, and um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, no nobody that that really jumps out, right? So 
and, and, and it's a tough call because I'm not saying that they have to kill primary characters to keep my interest, but you, it can't be one way or the other way because that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. So, and there, did, did you see the meme where the uh, the, the stormtrooper in uh, uh, Return of the Jedi that uh, actually shot Prin- uh, Princess Leia and Han had to help her out? They should give him a medal because he's the only person in all three episodes that hit a major character. <laughs> the, the only stormtrooper or the only anybody? The only anybody. The only the only shot that ever hit a major character was shot by that stormtrooper, so he deserves a medal. <sighs> Didn't Chewie get shot or grazed at some point? I'm not sure. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Um, Han Solo shoots at uh, at Darth Vader on Cloud City, and Vader blocks the the blaster bolt with his hand. That's technically a hit. Uh, yes, in a, in effectual, but yes. But <laughs> he's yeah, I guess. Uh, but he's a a good guy shooting the bad guy, right? Okay, so you're only talking about bad guys shooting good guys. I guess so. But All that right. that does count as a hit in my in my opinion. Like he he did roll a successful hit. Uh, it's just that uh, the defense of Darth <laughs> Vader is uh, higher than uh, Han's attack, right? <laughs> as you would expect, right? As you would expect. A dark well, I mean, maybe maybe not. I mean, Han Han Solo has been around for a lot longer, and he uses different weapons. He's probably he doesn't realize it, but he's probably pretty strong in the Force. No, Han Solo is not strong in the Force. I think he is. I don't think so. Nope, I think he's... He's all, all, constantly saying, I have a bad feeling about this, and so are all <laughs> the other characters that are strong in the Force. So I'm pretty sure that uh, he does have Force powers that he just doesn't acknowledge. E, I don't know. And that's why he could turn on the lightsaber when he needed to cut open that Tauntaun. And uh, if you need the Force in order to control a lightsaber, he has the Force so he can control a lightsaber. He just doesn't realize it. I don't... Well... Man, oh man! Some day, some days, I really think we need to do a Star Wars podcast because <laughs> Maybe. I don't agree with that at all. And I'll just say that I don't think you need the Force to turn on a lightsaber. You need the Force to wield a lightsaber without hurting yourself. And he didn't hurt it, himself at all. Wield it effectively. He effectively saved Luke Skywalker's uh-uh. life. There's a difference until the uh, the, nope. until the snow fort was built. Uh-uh. There's a difference between using it as a tool and using it as a weapon. I see. And he used it as a tool. Right? He did. Not as a weapon. If he wanted to stand up and have a lightsaber battle with someone, he couldn't have done that. The first thing he would have done is cut his own leg off. Yeah. Or had probably been killed by the other guy. All right. We'll defer this to the uh, to the Star Wars podcast. That we, we don't <laughs> do, but should. Um, is it my turn? Yeah. And am I reading Miles in San Francisco? Yeah. All right. Hi, Miles from San Francisco. Miles writes, I really enjoyed the latest episode with Daryl and Rosita. I don't like when people criticize the show by saying Daryl isn't doing much because I have always thought that part of Daryl's character is to lay low and be apart from the group. I thought this episode was really intense and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I really liked uh, Daryl's reaction when they were ambushed and just it was very uh, subtle. But you could see the anger and the hatred in his eyes. Uh, I thought Norman Reedus did a fantastic job in that uh, in that scene. It was very understated, but uh, very well done. You know, I've always thought that Norman Reedus had slightly crazy eyes. If you, yeah, if you look at that guy, eyes. like one is like going one way sometimes, and the other's going the other way a little bit, and and I think that works for him, especially in scenes like this. It just gives him that crazy intensity. 
and yeah. uh he seems to be able to work with it but but you're right he was he was great my favorite part about that whole scene is is just when daryl says i should have killed you and dwight very matter-of-factly says you know you're probably right but it begs <laughs> yeah. the question whose fault is this now yeah, <laughs> right true. if i was dead we wouldn't be here ambushing you yeah so but, uh there's a country song that uh that says if i shot you when i wanted to i'd be out by now <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> and uh there's uh peggy bundy on married with children when al walks in the room one episode says al did you miss me and he says with every shot so far <laughs> <laughs> oh god i hated that show oh you know spouse murdering yet it's funny spouse murder joke <laughs> Spouse murder joke. Yeah, I really dislike that show from the get go. I know, but now look at Ed O'Neill. He's he's a good actor, and he's so I, funny on uh, Modern Family. That's the thing. I liked Ed O'Neill as an actor, and I've seen him in other things. He was in that short lived Dragnet television reboot that they did shortly after Married with Children ended, and I loved it. it was great. I thought that Ed O'Neill did a great job. He was very deadpan and straight, and it was very weird to see Al Bundy do a straight role. It was great. But absolutely. We've got Christina Applegate, we've got uh, Katie Seagal, and we've got Ed O'Neill, all fantastic actors and actresses that uh, that have been in roles that I've really liked, uh, and they all come from that show that I really disliked. And what was the name of the son? Bud. <laughs> Actor, real name. Oh, God, no. He, he did a rap album shortly after that uh, that TV show, and then nothing. <laughs> Geez, I can't remember, but you're right. <laughs> I'm sure he's done something. I don't know, though. Maybe. Anyways. Anyway, hated that that show. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on. We have uh, Nathan on the internet uh, and from Dayton, Ohio. Well, let me just say something. The, okay. The way this podcast has gone, after, <laughs> after everybody's email, we've fallen into a sort of rat hole and have to end it by saying, and we'll try to move on. <laughs> <laughs> well... There we go. That's okay. It's a thing. It's our thing. It, it, yeah, maybe. Uh, okay, so Nathan writes, uh, is it just me or is Eugene the physical manifestation of Abraham's id? I think that Eugene is completely fabricated, is a completely fabricated character developed inside of Abraham's brain. Abraham being the ego and Eugene being the id. Seriously, think about it. Eugene floats in the background of Abraham's sexual encounters as a, almost a meta-analysis of the moment. They both speak in nearly in, in a, in a nearly identical manner, using poetic, oftentimes awkward metaphorical asides to themselves. If you were to read the script from the scene inside the bullet factory without knowing which character was saying the line, would you have a clear idea of who was saying what? Eugene and Abraham are the same person, and yet in so many ways, though, they are opposites. Abraham is over, overtly heterosexual on the outside, but his instincts could be to bite a dick on the inside, <laughs> something he complains, you, uh, compliments Eugene for doing at the end of the episode. I, for one, can read between the lines uh, here knowing now that, what I just discovered. So Nathan says that uh, Eugene is the, you know, it's there, he's a completely fabricated character developed inside Abraham's brain. Um, th that's an interesting idea. Uh, and I do think these two characters are kind of mirrors of each other in that way. Yet they're so similar, yet they're so different in some ways. I think it's a really interesting concept, though, to look at the it characters is. like this. It is. And uh, could you – and this made me think when I read this, uh, it made me think of uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern from uh, Hamlet, mm -hmm. which are uh, basically – 
uh, plot devices to move the plot forward, minor characters that are somewhat um, comic relief mm-hmm. that are ultimately doomed and completely interchangeable. So I'm wondering if uh, Abraham and Eugene are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, In... which means they'll die. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, But then again, everybody's on the chopping block, so who knows? Yeah. I don't know if that means they're going to die necessarily, but I think you could be right. I mean, they could be homages in some ways to to those Shakespeare characters. Right. Well, you know, to be fair, Hamlet was a tragedy, mm-hmm. and we don't know if this show is a tragedy yet. It's pretty tragic at times. It is, but it's more of an adventure than it is a tragedy. A tragedy, everybody dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, an adventure, people get through it and, uh, uh, you know, are able to settle down afterwards, turning their swords to plowshares, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not a comedy. It's not a love story. might be a love story, but... Probably not. Probably not. It's not really a comedy, no. Uh, but it's it's you know it's it just shows that Abraham and Eugene, um, in some ways, are just very well thought out characters or well thought out pair of characters. Anyways, you know. Yeah. They, Maybe they just spent too much time together. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> Start looking like each other and <laughs> talking like each other. Yeah. Well, that does happen. Um, but speaking of speaking and talking like each other. Michelle from Alabama, USA, writes, To quote from the end of the episode, and she means our podcast a couple days ago, I don't think anyone talks like Abraham. I believe I said that. Right. And uh, she goes on, Sorry, but you are 100% incorrect. Scores speak just like him, with the same inventive phrasing every day in the American South. The Walking Dead writers have done their research. Abraham's dialect and use of irony, metaphor, and simile is spot on. So I, I think what uh, Michelle means by scores is a lot of people, because scores actually means dozens, right? So there are dozens of us. Scores actually means dozens? I, I, I didn't know that. I thought it meant... I think a score is a dozen. Okay. Well, anyways, it, I think she means a lot. Yes. Yes. I Yeah. A good... So I don't think she means that there are dozens of people in the South that talk this way. Because dozens would not be enough for me. But if, you know, hundreds, thousands of people across the southern U.S. speak like Abraham, then... I mean, I have to, uh, I have to concede that I didn't know that, and I could be wrong about the way he talks, but I still don't believe that anyone really talks like that. <laughs> uh, it might be twenty, because I'm thinking of four score and seven years ago, uh-huh. which is twenty plus seven years, which is eighty-seven. So I think a score is twenty, not twelve. So twenties of people talk like 20. that. Yeah, yeah, still might not be enough. I don't know. I. I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't believe that anyone, like people may use, as she says, inventive phrasing um, and, you know, interesting sort of funny lines like that. But nobody has that many in their back pocket to pull out at a given moment, do they? Like people speak normally, as far as I understand, and then maybe they'll drop in a funny phrase once in a while. I could see that. But like every frigging line out of Abraham's mouth is, is like a one liner. And that's what I don't like. Maybe he spends a lot of time on patrol thinking up these things. That's all he does. He walks around writing down funny lines to use and then... Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he keeps a diary by his bed. He wakes up. He writes down the funny line. He works it. You know, there's probably there's lots of prolific people out there that write uh, funny stuff on a constant basis. So uh, maybe he's doing that. Maybe. I don't know. I, seems a little crazy. Why don't you read the next one? It's related. All right. So we have Tyler, a fellow Canadian. That's not really a location. But I, I suppose it's close enough. Like, okay, why we, not? We got a we got a you know a, a planetary location where we can pinpoint him. 
I mean, sure, we might be he might be in one of the multi scores of lakes that we have in Canada. <laughs> yes. You know what I read the other day that we have more lakes in Canada than the rest of the world combined. We do have a lot of lakes. We do have a lot, a lot of, of lakes. Trees. And more coastline than any other country. Really? Oh yeah. Well, we got it was three basically all coast all the way around, except right? for the section that goes connects to the U.S. Yeah, and Alaska. That's the U.S. That's also true. Okay, <laughs> great. Anyway, so Tyler, a fellow Canadian, we almost got through the uh, title. Uh, Chris, you have got to stop harping on Abraham's dialogue. Just because his phrasing and quotes don't fit your sense of proper speech doesn't mean no one in the world speaks like that. There are many different ways to talk, and his is odd. It's fine. Let it go, man. <laughs> Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Well, I might not let it go personally, but I'm going to try not to bring continually bring it up here because I think I've made my point and uh, um, I don't need to beat a dead horse. Right. And the internet is sick of your shit. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't take long for the internet to get sick of my shit. No. Or sick of shit in general. Uh, June on the internet writes, I can't help. Uh, I can't help enjoying Abraham's interactions with Eugene. Haha, <laughs> I know that nobody on the planet actually talks like these people do, but you have to admit, it's a wonderful didactic exercise and a joy to listen to if you're a lover of language. That's true. It's kind of true. The lover of language and didactic exercise bit. I also think the nobody on the planet talks like these people do is true, but I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> a lot of times my wife thinks I'm laughing at her when, in fact, I'm laughing at the uh, at the language that she uses because I find it so delightful. She thinks I'm full of shit when I say things like that, but uh, it's true. I don't blame I her. Really, I mean, I, that... I enjoy the language, and I'm not laughing at her. I'm laughing at the delightful use of language. The interesting word usements she structures? That's correct. All right. <laughs> like she often says, well, not often, but she's, she said on an, on an occasion, I did an English degree. Which is funny. <laughs> she's got a bachelor's in honors in English, uh, English literature, and she says that she did an English degree. And I love it. I think that's funny. I did an English degree. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not wrong, is it? It's not wrong, but <laughs> it's still funny. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine's uh, mom got a job teaching English, and the first thing out of her mouth was, I got a job teaching English. She thought maybe it was spelled with an A. No. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. Next we have Shannon in Louisville, Kentucky. My holy crap moment was Eugene giving Abraham a little of his own medicine. His you have outlived your usefulness to me thing was so similar and nasty uh, the way that Abraham dumped Rosita. And she actually cheered. Uh, no, I missed that. There, oh my <laughs> friggin' brain! We might have to edit that out. <clears throat> His "you have outlived your usefulness to me" thing was so similar to the nasty way Abraham dumped Rosita that I actually cheered, and I might cheer that I got through that sentence. It might only be in my head, but I want to believe Eugene did that on purpose after ho overhearing the whole exchange. Sure, it nearly got him killed, but Abraham deserved it. Uh, they have a long, long way to go to redeem Abraham in my eyes after that whole Rosita thing. What an asshole. Yeah, I do think it, Abraham is still an asshole. Uh, um, it's hard to be redeemed after being such a dick to to Rosita. And I don't know, maybe Eugene was standing there. He witnessed the whole thing. So maybe he, he was giving Abe a bit of, or maybe he was just 
just upset with Abraham in general. He's like, you're kind of an ass. And yeah, I know we hang around a lot and we're the ego and id of the same consciousness, but <laughs> we share an IQ. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to take off for a while. Cause I don't need you anymore. Yeah. You know, I can, I can see that. And that might be, uh, you know, Eugene's a smart guy. Uh, so maybe he used that particular phrase, you've outlived your usefulness, is, uh, you know, he knew that that was the button to push to hurt the most. Because you, uh, Abraham wants to be useful. Abraham wants to protect people. His whole uh, reason for going on living was to protect Eugene to uh, to help him get to where he wanted to go because he was, you know, uh, Eugene told him that he was a very important person. Mm-hmm. So in order to hurt Abraham the the most, Eugene used that f- that phrase. Uh, you know, you've outlived your usefulness to me. It's brutal. It's true, and it's just the right thing to say to push Abraham's buttons. Yeah, totally. And I I think we've we've talked about that before too, where Abraham is the kind of guy that needs a mission. He needs something to do. And early on, his mission was to accompany Eugene to Washington D.C. Because Eugene was the guy who knew how to solve this whole thing, right? At least that's what Eugene was saying. But that was just him being clever and tricking someone into basically escorting him everywhere and protecting him. Um, Now, a lot of things have happened since then, but but you're right. Eugene was probably saying, you know what? You don't have a mission anymore. You are you're useless to me. So take that big, big guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think you're onto something. All right, uh, Celeste and Becca in Old Lyme, Connecticut. Old Lyme. Lyme, Lyme with a Y. Uh, I think that final shot of Morgan looking at the people and then looking at Carol's empty rocking swing with that angry look is because of what Alexandria is becoming. The people carting weapons to continue more violence, Carol leaving because she can't kill anymore, all things Morgan feels strongly about. But like Carol said in her letter, as long as they have things, people will keep coming and there will always be fights. And I think Morgan is realizing how true this is and how unhappy or angry that it makes him feel. Mm. Um, yeah, I think Morgan, he's been on the peripheral for a few weeks now, just sort of watching what's going on. But really nothing that's been going on, I would think, is to his liking. <laughs> seeing as there's been a lot of just sort of thoughtless killing lately so he likes the cell that he built he does like the cell he built but he'd rather put people in that than kill them you know that's true without thinking so yeah it's a big thing it is all right next we have k from florida did you notice that carol's goodbye letter was to her boyfriend of five minutes rather than rick or her best friend daryl i don't think either of them would let her go so easily more importantly, I think after what happened to Beth, Daryl will go crazy, will go to crazy lengths to get Carol back. I wor- worry that they're setting this up for something terrible to happen to my favorite characters. Well, I guarantee something terrible is going to happen to your favorite characters because this is The Walking Dead, after all. Terrible yep. shit happens. Um, but I do think that uh, Kay has a good point that, you know, Daryl tried to find Beth and... I mean, ultimately they did, but it didn't really work out so well. And then he had to carry, you know, dead Beth out of the hospital, unfortunately. But, um, uh, you know, he might now be sort of thinking, well, someone else has gone missing or left and it's someone I care about. So I've got to go, go find her. And, you know, when you separate from the group, that's when bad things happen. 
It's true. You never split the party. Never split the party. Always keep the party together. Uh, all right. Dan in Durant, Iowa writes, when Carol writes that Rick kicked her out, does anybody else know that? The only other person that has been shown to know this detail is Tyrese. And Tyrese is dead. Tyrese is dead. And when Dan, when I read this message from Dan, I'm like, that's right. Carol mentioned when Rick kicked me out in her letter. I don't know if anybody other than Rick knows that. Carol knows it, so well, it's fine. Well, Carol. <laughs> maybe she doesn't know that Rick never told anybody, let alone maybe maybe she thinks that Rick tells everybody he uh, he meets, like uh, Maggie's pregnant. They tell everybody they meet that Maggie's pregnant. Maybe uh, she thinks that her shit is so important that every time Rick meets a new person, even her new boyfriend, she said I, he would tell her, tell that person that, uh, you know, I kicked Carol out once, but she came back and saved us all, so it's okay. You know, the only thing, maybe, the only thing I can think, though, is if she's been with Tobin for, I don't know, a few weeks, uh, yeah. maybe her and Tobin have talked about it, and technically the letter seemed like it was to Tobin. Um, you know, although, good point that Kay made a minute ago that, you know, she writes to Tobin rather than Rick or anybody else that she's been with for years. Um, but I don't know, maybe if the letter really was to Tobin, maybe he knows because they've been sleeping together for a little while <laughs> yeah she told him she told tobin what what the hell i guess uh, i suppose uh, i killed two people because they were sick and uh yeah maybe she woke up in the middle of the night with her list he's like are, are you okay hon he's like she says no i killed 18 people and here's a list of them and why and i was banished and well she had to tell the story about why she was right, away right. from the group and then had to come back and shoot the uh, the tank of propane making a big explosion and then killing that lady that was on Star Trek and all that kind of good stuff. Right. So Tobin knows more than than we think. Yeah. So she when she references that it's for Tobin's benefit because he already knows. Okay. There you go. That explains That's the only ex Yeah, it and it's not a direct explanation it's just a uh uh, this is the way it probably is because they didn't give us enough information. But that's a good point that, uh, you know, we no, nobody knows other than Carol, Rick, and, you know, the late departed Tyrese. Will it come up again? Probably not. Um, who knows? Who knows where that's going to go? I also think her writing the letter, it would have made a little more sense if it was more of a communal letter. Like, maybe she left the letter for Tobin. <laughs> but then, well, think about it. Like, it... You see Tobin pick up the letter when, when we start the voiceover, right? Yep. I think maybe it would have made a little more sense if, if we see him pick it up, start the voiceover. Maybe there's a scene during the kind of montage of him showing the letter to Rick or something. Like, you know, we hear the talking and we see Tobin handed the letter and Rick looks concerned, right? Then we know he's sharing it around the community so everybody knows. And at that point, you know, what she what she's saying or what she written isn't really just directed at him. It's kind of for everybody. Right. That seems like it would have made sense to me. Yeah, good. When you say she wrote the letter to the community, uh, the reason I laughed was I thought of uh, that Simpsons episode where Homer wrote a, wrote a letter, Dear Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a letter to the movie. <laughs> to Well, and I think he thinks... John McClane's name is Die Hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's funny. Homer's Homer's not the brightest bulb in the lamp. No. Fish bulb? <laughs> He's not the brightest, sharpest tool in the shed. There you go. <laughs> there you go. The shiniest apple on the tree? That either. 
All right, next we have Chris in Syracuse, New York. Everyone, everyone is wondering why Carol would leave. She didn't. Morgan has given her an involuntary invite to his new bed and breakfast jail cell. He's going to give her the same therapy he got from the cheese maker. Morgan wrote the letter so that no one would go looking for her. Well, that's quite the theory. But why would it be in Carol's voiceover? Oh, yeah. If someone else wrote the letter, it can't be Carol's voiceover. <laughs> that's not how TV works. No, it's not. It, it breaks TV uh, precepts, whereas if you write a letter, it's in your voice. And that's what the the reader hears. You don't. Uh, you could fuck with that, right? Like mm-hmm. it would be in Carol's voice because Tobin thinks it's from her in there, and therefore reads it in her voice, or as if it were, were her voice. But that would be hard to explain. So Chris could be right. Chris could be right. I mean, uh, I don't. I don't think he is. I don't think Morgan has got her in the jail cell. But you never know. Maybe Carol voluntarily went into the jail cell. I don't know why that would be. Well, she needs the therapy. She needs, I don't know. Well, then why would Morgan look at her uh, continually swinging <laughs> uh, porch swing? And wonder where she is. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We just see him looking. We don't know what's going on in his mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it just it seems a little bit weird that the letter would be in her voice and uh, Morgan would be looking at the swing, noticing that she's no longer there. Well, our next email comes from Judy on the internet, and Judy's got it all figured out too. Uh, she says, "I realized what's going on, what's going to happen with Morgan and Carol. He feels responsible for her. He knows she's not used to fending for herself without killing. He goes to join her to help keep her safe. Maybe they find the cheesemaker's cabin. Maybe he teaches her Aikido. Maybe together they will have some of our gang. They will save some of our gang from the saviors." At any rate, I predict they will become their own duo. It would be unprecedented to have an in-show spinoff. <laughs> can we follow Morgan and Carol? We can follow Morgan and Carol from time to time, sandwiched in occasionally to the main storyline. That's true. Would they be a dynamic duo or would they be a static duo? Dynamic. Yeah, because why not? Because they're two dynamic people. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I think yeah. so. Um, the only problem is I think the cheesemaker's cabin is back in Georgia. <laughs> not. It's a fair distance for walking. Yeah. I, it's, it's at least pretty far south. Anyways, I don't think it's near Alexandria. But hey, you know, maybe they find another cabin with another with another cheesemaker and another jail. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe another goat. And Morgan can throw her in there and say, you need some of this. Don't come out until you're ready. Well, there can't only be one cabin with a jail cell and a cheesemaker that knows Aikido and has a goat. Like, there can't just be one, right? No, no, no. The chances of there only being one are virtually uh, none. So, right. <laughs> so, there <True>. you go. <laughs> All right. So, next we have a call from Timmy on the internet. Hi there. My name is Timmy. I'm a longtime listener. I've been listening for probably about five years now. Wow. First time caller, I have a theory about Carol. I think what happened when she saw that wolf save Denise was she had to reconsider what she did to Lizzie. I think when Lizzie did what she did, she thought there was no going back and there's no way Lizzie could get better. So she killed her. And I think seeing the wolf change maybe puts that into question for her. Maybe Morgan's right. Maybe... Lizzie could have changed. Anyway, I'd love to hear your guys' take on it. Thanks. Enjoy the show. 
Thank you, Timmy. So it all comes down to Carol's recent experiences, right? She's realizing that there's not, there's more than one way to look at things. And now her way of doing, of dealing with it is just to take off. Well, maybe she needs to go find herself, right? And so now she's, she's questioning decisions that she's made. Uh, she's questioning who she's become and has to try and figure out who she is in this new, uh, this new apocalyptic world. So she's going to go try and find herself. And maybe she found a note and she heard that she's somewhere in Delaware. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, well, I, that's the thing about Carol. Like, I think she thought she knew how to deal with things. But new experiences are what's sort of changing her mind, right? Right. Well, our previous thoughts were when, you know, when faced with a moral dilemma, kill it. Mm -hmm. So now she's learning that maybe that's not the best way to do things. Yeah. So who am I? Who have I become? Who will I be? Let's go find out somewhere in the woods. Yes. And she needs to do this alone. Yeah, because, you know, what if uh, Tobin tried to break up with her? Her first reaction would be, well, you got to die. I'm going to have to burn you somewhere out back. <laughs> I know you're not sick, but you're a bit of a dick, so I'm going to have to put you in the ground. <laughs> well, you know, if if you don't want to be with me, then you've got to be uh, bad, so you have to die. Hmm, that would be bad for Tobin. Yeah, so maybe she's, uh, uh, yeah, she's going to try and figure out who she's who she is and who she will she will be. Hey, sidebar, do you think Tobin survives season six? Yeah. Yeah, I Why do. Wouldn't he? I do. Well, because he's a he's. <laughs> oh yeah, right. The zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's, gotcha. <laughs> there's that. Uh, but he's also like he's barely even a secondary character, right? He's a love interest. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. He's a love yeah. interest that's not even interested in love anymore. Well, well, it depends. If this is a romance story, mm-hmm. the whole thing is a romance story, then he's fine. Okay, but if I, it's a tragedy, he's screwed. I think he's probably screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just wonder if he's going to die off like this week. You know, it, will he even be in the episode? Who knows? I don't know. Or is Yeah, he... we've had better characters than Tobin not show up in a lot of episodes for a long time. That's true. Yeah. Eh, all right. Well, we'll see. Uh another call here from Matt in Delaware. Hey guys, this is Matt in Delaware. Uh, I just wanted to call bullshit on Daryl not being able to drive a manual transmission. Um, unless all of the bikes that he's been finding and riding in the apocalypse are automatic, he most certainly knows how a manual transmission works. And even if he doesn't, he can figure it out. So I know it was just a plot device to show that Denise had value and that she was, you know, streetwise and all that shit. But uh, <laughs> I think that was just sloppy writing on the, uh, the part of the writers. So anyway, wanted to get your take on that later. Thanks, Matt. So here's my take on this. And, okay. I, and I know it's not perfect, but I know how to drive manual transmission. I've driven lots of standard cars in my life. Give me a motorcycle. I wouldn't know what the F to do on it. I have One down, three up. I have, well, I've never, I've been on a motorcycle exactly once in my life, and I was a passenger. Right. Um, Were you up front on the handlebars? I was not, but that sounds like a Jason story from the 90s right there. Uh, no, not from the nineties. That would be from the eighties. Oh, great. <laughs> when you were even younger. Uh, no, I have, I'm saying I know how to drive a, a manual a transmission car. There's no way I could ride a motorcycle. Now I know that's not perfect because I feel like if I knew how to ride a motorcycle, there's more chance of me knowing how to just sit down into a 
manual transmission car and and do it and figure it out but maybe not i don't know i'm just not so sure the two are, are linked so strongly as matt suggests no but the concept is there it's uh you have to pull the clutch change gears let the clutch out and you know use the gas while you're doing that whole thing it's true right? and and you know what maybe the motorcycle maybe the reason i can't drive a motorcycle is not because i don't understand how how gears and a clutch work maybe it's just because i i don't have the touch you need for riding a motorcycle because i've never done it right so it's just practice right so maybe that's the problem is that uh daryl has practice lots of practice with a motorbike and not a lot of practice with uh, a standard truck yeah maybe i don't know i still feel like though if i knew how to ride a motorcycle i would i would know how to drive a, a car would you buy a car today is it still cheaper to get a manual transmission I'm not sure. I think, possible? I think a little bit. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely still possible. I would love to, to buy a manual transmission car, but my wife won't let me. Well, it's supply and demand, right? So I'm thinking that uh, maybe uh, they make so many automatic transmission vehicles now. To make a standard transmission vehicle, you have to have a separate production line for the, the, that transmission. So maybe that make that costs more money. So I, I don't know. It used to be cheaper to buy a manual car, but nowadays I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't know. In in Europe, um, manual cars are still much more popular. Like my father-in-law oh, right. lives in Europe and like everybody there I know in uh, only drives a standard transmission car. And right. so I enjoy going over there to visit him because I get to drive his car around and it's the only shifting I get to do. That's cool. Yeah, it's very fun. All right. Next we have Kurt in Meridian, Idaho. Daryl can't drive stick? No way. <laughs> he had no problems dri driving that giant gas truck but can't manage a, manage a beater pickup. After watching that sequence a couple of times, I think he was just irritated with Denise. Right before they get to the roadblock, he gives her a bit of a nasty look, and he grinds the gears one more time for good measure. Yeah, I think that's probably a, uh, a, a good interpretation of, of the scene. I mean, I don't know why he would bother, like, you know, grinding, a, grinding the thing up just to get under her skin, but I, she did sort of make make them take her out there so i don't know yeah well all vehicles are free and disposable now <laughs> that's true right? you <laughs> place much. value on what you pay for something if they found the truck in a ditch you know they sure it's valuable but it'll get me from here to there but if, if i grind all the gears down to nubs by the time i get there no big deal i'll just grab another something or other to get us home find another one sure yeah apparently all the vehicles are valuable free and have the keys like in the ignition well, you can like they they use a lot of older vehicles, right? The campers from the eighties. This mm -hmm. truck is probably is older seventies or eighties. Uh, when um, Sasha was standing up on the wall and the uh, uh, and the camper pulled up at one point that we were talking about during the uh, the review episode, yep. uh, there was a whole line of vehicles there. They were all older vehicles. Older vehicles are easier to maintain and repair when you don't have uh, computerized diagnostic equipment. Of course. Right? So if you had a 2016 vehicle and uh, it, something was happening, happening to it, you opened up the hood and you looked at it, I know I would go, I don't know, it's broke. <laughs> I got to move nothing. on to the next car, yeah. right? But, uh, you know, if you had a, a vehicle from the late 70s that didn't have any electronic components or very few electronic components like the radio and lights and things, you know, if something was going on, there was a clicking or a banging in the uh, in the engine compartment. Open up the engine compartment. You look at it. 
now you're looking at me like I would know what the hell was going on, and I would not l- know what the hell was going on. I would I would say, nope, it's broke. <laughs> but I bet you I could find somebody in my group of friends that would go, no, it's just the uh, the right uh, actual tie rod needs to be realigned with the uh, uh, with the with the snake unit. <laughs> <laughs> the left phalange. The left phalange yeah. is uh, is uh, is rubbing up against the uh, uh, the catalytic converter. <laughs> sounds sounds right to me. Sounds right to me. Yeah, yeah make it, make it, make car go now. <laughs> Basically, what happens when my car breaks down? I break it. I bring it to the uh, to the guy that I bring it to all the time and go, uh, "Car broke, please fix." <laughs> yeah, and he goes, "Yeah, thousand dollars." He'll be like, and then, and then he charges you whatever he wants. That's right. <laughs> yeah, then he charges me a thousand dollars, and then I we go okay. Okay, have a nice day. And then every time I get my car fixed, and it's a lot lately because it's a it's a two thousand Pontiac. Uh, every time I get my car fixed, I bring it in, I give the guy a thousand dollars, and then when it's done, he goes, "You know that car's in really good shape." <laughs> well, why is it costing me a thousand dollars every eight weeks? <laughs> is it really every eight weeks? Well, it broke. It cost me. Uh, I had uh, the power steering go completely, and then I had to replace the uh, uh, the. The part on the car where the front wheels attach to the car and steer. Axles? A spring, a spring broke, <laughs> okay. and I had to replace all of that. Uh, so, And that was within a three-week period. And each of those, the first one was $1,600, and the second one was seven. So, I, But after he was done the second one, it's like, yeah, the car's in pretty good shape. He's, Why does he keep breaking? He's going to tell you that because he, he he loves every every six weeks when you bring it in for $1,000. Every mechanic we brought it to like we broke up at the cottage over the summer and we had to get uh, the entire serpentine belt uh, replaced <laughs> and the power steering pump serpentine it's true i swear to god that's what it's called the serpentine <laughs> belt it's the uh, the magical belt that powers everything in the car <laughs> look it up it's a real thing the serpentor belt <laughs> uh the guy that replaced it up there again a thousand dollars he said car's in really good shape for how old it is oh see there's the qualifier <laughs> Yeah, it's it's 16 years old. It's an old car. If the car was a person, the car could drive. <laughs> That's funny. In Ontario, in Ontario, he's 16 years old, he can have the car can have its own license. Well, so what you need is a car that drives itself. Problem solved. Yeah, problem solved. The, the way I figure it is, eventually, it'll be a new car. I'll just keep replacing all the parts until it's brand new. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Thanks. <laughs> um. That was a rat hole. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Uh, yes, older cars, easier to hotwire. That's where we were, right? Yes. But I, what I was going to say. And maintain. What I was going to say all those hours ago when I thought of it was, uh, um, you know, there there probably would be a lot of cars just laying around with, with keys in them after the zombie apocalypse because, you know, people die, crash, whatever. There's chaos, things like that. They get out yeah. of their car, run away. They're going to leave the keys there probably. So Maybe. it might be easier to find cars with keys. Anyhow. Um, I've left my keys in the car. But the problem I have is with uh, eating before I get out of the car. <laughs> like if I go to a movie, this has happened. Uh-huh. Uh, me and my wife went to a movie. We stopped at a restaurant, or like a drive through before we got there. Stopped in the parking lot of the movie theater. I ate. And then we got out of the car and went to the movie. And then when dro- walking back to the car, I didn't have my keys. Turns out I left them in the car. <laughs> And the car was completely unlocked. Your, your car doesn't warn you when you do that? No, because it's a 16-year-old Pontiac. Warn me? Was it going to say, Jason, you've left your keys in the car? Yeah, my car makes a loud noise if I do that. Oh, no, my car doesn't. In fact, my all car doesn't cars care. these days do that. My car probably just goes, ha-ha, you're an idiot. Well, we've all had those moments. I rented a car in Los Angeles once, 
and uh, parked it in a parking garage and came back like four hours later, five hours later, passenger door wide open. Wow. Just never closed. We never closed the door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there it is. Yeah. Where the hell are we? Who's next? I don't know. I think we we just did Kurt in Meridian, okay. Idaho. So Mark in Baltimore. One more here along the same lines. Mark says, as for Daryl not driving a stick, I liked the wink at us in defiance of our stereotypes. It's like you two being portrayed by your writers as non-hockey obsessed, non-moosehead swilling Canucks, eh? Hard to suspend our disbelief here in the audience, but I try not to blame the writers too much. Jason, are you yeah. a hockey-obsessed, moosehead-swilling Canuck? No, but I do like the occasional—I used to like moosehead. That was one of my uh, my preferred beers. Well— But I'm not a hockey-obsessed. Like I say, I probably couldn't name a current hockey player in the NHL. I, bet, I can name past players. I bet. Paul Coffey, Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Funny how they're all from the same Euler dynasty. Uh, I bet you, you could name one player in the NHL right now. I don't know, Manichuk? Isn't there a Manichuk of some kind? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) But you're telling me, like, if you didn't sit there and think about it for a second, you wouldn't come up with Sidney Crosby? No, because every time somebody says that, I just think Crosby stills in Nash. So? That's your mnemonic device to remember him. Yeah, but no, I I wouldn't have been able to bring that up on my own. Well, see, problem is Paul Coffey and Wayne Gretzky both went to my high school. That's That's how I know who they are. Well, they played a long time ago. Yeah, and they they played in Sioux Greyhounds, and they both went to my high school. That's true. That is true. Uh, anyways, I am hockey-obsessed. I mean, a lot of people know that about me, uh, which is sort of typical. I you don't, don't like Moosehead, though. I don't really like Moosehead. Um, no. I'm more of a Czech beer guy. I love the Czech and European beers. Uh, that's, that's true. And uh, we are Canadian, so technically we're Canucks, right? Yeah, that's true. A? That's a hockey team, right? The Canucks? The Vancouver Canucks. There you go. Yep. Got that one right. Good for you. See? How many teams could you name? I don't, I don't, I don't think we should try that now. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> Although it might not take that long. <laughs> Isn't there an Anaheim Ducks? Look at you naming a, a That's because Western, that's a ridiculous name. A Western Conference American team. Named after a movie. Yeah, they're a good team, though. The Mighty Ducks? No, the real, the real team. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, go to the next one. All right, Elaine in New York. The toy soldier that Daryl was fiddling with was from his first encounter with Dwight and the two other ladies. Uh, Daryl traded the uh, insulin for the toy. Dwight told him that he whittled them himself. Okay, so that explains it. So Dwight was making the toy soldiers. Daryl needed to trade something just for, you know, because he needed to get something in return for giving them back their insulin. And then... They stole the bike back, and so that's why the toy was in there. And then that, I guess, reminded Daryl of that, and that's why he threw it away. Right. Stupid Dwight. Stupid Dwight. All right, next is Christy in Halifax. Christy writes, train tracks and bad memories. I know that sounds like a country song, but what? Uh, but it's what I think was going on with Daryl this episode. You guys thought the logical explanation for why Daryl opted for the road was that there was more chance for supplies along the way. I disagree. The way he said, I ain't going on any damn tracks, said it all. No good has come from heading down train tracks for the group. Terminus was no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I think he saw Denise face her fears, enter the apothecary, and deal with what she saw. So on the way back, he did the same thing by going down the tracks. Of course, with everything that just happened on the tracks, 
he may never venture down them again. Bad tracks. So train tracks don't lead to anywhere good in the Walking Dead universe, and Daryl knows that, and that's why he wanted to take the road instead. Well, why did they take the tracks back? Because, as Christy said, he was facing his fears after seeing Denise do it, and he thought, I'm going to stand up to these train tracks. I'm not going to let them control me. And then look what happened. Right. So I think what the lesson Daryl's going to learn from this is that he's perfect and that every decision he makes is the right one, and he should never second-guess it. When in doubt, kill the bad guy. Never take the train tracks. And uh, do not let your crossbow go to anybody else because then your friends get killed. I think so. Daryl needs to stick to his rules and everything will be fine. Right. And then collecting a bandolier of squirrels is the right thing to do. And then remember when he was collecting ears? He did have an ear necklace. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to the ear necklace? That was, uh, that might not have been a great decision, but let's hope that he doesn't bring that back. You never know. It might be hanging in his house somewhere. You know, come to think of it, we've never really seen Daryl like in a house, like we know Rick and Michonne live in how in a house nice and they have a comfortable thing there. And Denise had a thing and you got to assume Glenn and Maggie have a have a house somewhere. I get the feeling Daryl probably sleeps in a tent like yeah, he sleeps in his shop <laughs> in the, somebody's the shop where he built the motorbike in uh, Aaron's house. Oh, yeah. Maybe he does that. He never like I don't I just feel like he doesn't really like comfort. He probably likes to sleep on an uncomfortable cot. You're right in a garage or something. Yeah, Maggie and Glenn have a house because that's where they were rolling change that one time. Oh, yeah. See? So we have seen them in their house. So everybody has their their comfort zone. I just don't see that with Daryl, and we've never been shown it on the show. No. So anyways, who knows? All right. So next we have a call from Lisa in Houston, Texas. Hi, guys. It's Lisa from Houston, Texas, and I just wanted to call in and give my feedback of the most recent episode um, twice as far. The scene I wanted to talk about was whenever Denise went into the back room of the apothecary and found the uh, zombie with a cast and the dead baby or toddler in the sink. So what the scene told me was that the parent was probably holed up there pretty early on in the apocalypse because, I mean, where are you going to get a cast once all the hospitals are shut down? So that being said, this person probably didn't know that simply drowning a baby won't stop it from coming back as a zombie. So I figure there's probably some really horrifying backstory in there. Like maybe the baby came back as a zombie, bit the parent, and how they died and why they never left the apothecary. I was just wondering what your guys' take was on it. It's pretty horrifying to think about, really. (laughs) Anyways, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. You Yeah, the the whole baby in the drugstore thing gets a little more sad when you think about it. a lot of other people, uh, some people wrote in sort of just with their thoughts on it too. And basically what most people seem to think is that all those handprints out on the outside of the building tie into what was going on on the inside of the building. You have a parent who has a cast on their leg, and so they're not very mobile. Um, they've got a baby with them early on in the apocalypse. The baby is probably crying, making all sorts of noise which draws all the zombies to the front of the store, which explains all the handprints. So the parent trying to silence the baby drowns it or does something terrible to it in that sink and then essentially goes crazy and ends up dying in there and writing hush all over the wall because, you know, you lose your mind and so on. And that's just 
kind of horrifying to think really about. Is. So it's a pretty sad scene. And, and you know, it, it took a while to put all that together, and I needed the help of the listeners, but that's because I'm generally not that smart. But now that I've sort of got a clearer picture of what was happening there, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty nuts. That's pretty gross to think about it and pretty horrifying if uh, once you put the whole story together. But it's nice that the writers gave us enough information to put the whole story together. Even though it took me a little while. Well, it took it. We had to crowdsource it, right? Right. Everybody had to put their little piece in, but I think we got uh, a lot of the story. And uh, maybe the webisodes this season will be about this. Oh, God. They haven't done those for a few years, so I think they're done with them. But Ah, well, then we need to make our own. Oh, baby drowning webisodes. Oh, yeah, right. That'd be pretty horrifying. I don't think I want to do that. Let's not do that. No, no thanks. Um, So Ruth in Paris wrote in about the same scene, and Ruth said, Just wanted to make a comment on the baby shoe in the blood-filled sink. Supposedly, Ernest Hemingway wrote a type of story called Flash Fiction. The famous phrase attributed to him is, quote, for sale, baby shoes, never worn, end quote. It's called a six-word novel and immediately communicates a range of emotions. I thought of flash fiction in this episode when I saw the shoe in this episode. <laughs> and I think, your Hitch- I think the Hitchcock quote uh, goes along with that. You don't need to show everything or say everything to communicate emotions. That one flash image was an entire episode. The beginning of the end, a mom, possibly a pharmacist with a broken foot, trying to ride out the storm with her baby. Yeah. Um, I've heard for sale baby shoes never worn before. Yeah. And, uh, but I've never really thought about it. And now I've been forced to, and it makes me sad. It is sad. It's uh, <laughs> that, That's a great point, Ruth, uh, with uh, flash fiction. I didn't know about that phrase. So I'm going to look that up and start looking at fash- flash fiction. Yeah. I did look that one up, and there's no consensus necessarily that Ernest Hemingway actually wrote that, but it is often attributed to him. Um, but e- either way, it's it's a, a six-word novel that communicates absolutely everything you need to know. True. In a terrible way. All right, next we have Jenkins in The Commonwealth of Dominica. Why are characters so inept when it comes to combat? I'm not expecting anyone to be Leonidas with a sword or Steven Seagal in hand-to-hand battles, but my God, when Rosita had to show Denise how to hold a machete, I cringed inside. I don't care what's, what upbringing you have, holding a machete wrongly feels unnatural. Maybe, again, it might be a cultural thing, which I'm not getting, because where I live, there's lots of rainforest and gardening, <laughs> so we use machetes all the time. But that being said, the first time I picked one up, I held it in its correct position, which, by the way, the handle is ergonomically built to feel more comfortable. So here's the thing in that scene when uh, we didn't talk about it on Monday, but Rosita does tell Denise how to hold the machete. Now, you, Jason, have told me before how to hold a knife in a knife fight. Yeah. (laughs) I've never been in a knife fight, and I hope not to ever be in a knife fight, but Uh you don't hold it like you're cutting something like you're cutting a steak you hold it kind of backhand because you can stab Stab. overhand with it but also defend with it a little bit yeah machete that 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 doesn't apply to machete i don't think no because machete is not a hand-to-hand combat weapon it's a cutting back brush and uh you know either making your way through a very dense uh you know 
wooded or you know woodlot of some kind, right? Or you're cutting back brush for gardening purposes. It's not meant as a hand to hand combat weapon. It's meant as a uh, uh, it's like a hatchet for getting yeah. getting through uh, you know jungle. But but whatnot. neither is a a, a uh, you know a kitchen knife. But but you have to hold it sort of the right way if you're in a knife fight with it. With a machete, though, would there not be some benefit to holding it the same way rather than holding it like you would hold a machete? No, because you're not stabbing with a machete. It's always slashing and hacking, right? Right. Okay. Makes sense. With, with uh, you know, if you're in a knife fight, you might stab. You might get a little stabby. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> but then again, you know, that knife fight thing that I told you is completely... Uh, I heard that from somebody else, so that it might be a chain of bullshit that landed on your your doorstep, and I don't know who you passed it on to, but you have to warn them that getting into a knife fight is probably a bad idea, well, unless, of course, you have a gun. <laughs> Either way, yeah, avoid knife fights at all costs. <clears throat> um, That's what I do. I just avoid knife fights. No, yeah. If I see a knife fight over there, I turn around and walk the other way. Oh, that's not very nice. <laughs> I try and I try and talk people down after but, uh, I phone nine one one. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's none of my business. Yeah, yeah. No, that guy just got stabbed. I don't know what's going Holy on. Holy crap! That got stabby fast. All right. Um, my turn. A couple more Your here. Turn. John on the internet writes: I thought Eugene was left off the hook a little too easy after throwing a hissy fit that ultimately led to him getting captured and endangering the group and possibly making him responsible for Denise's death. Instead of taking responsibility, he still wants a stupid apology from Abraham, which he gets, and then they make light of the situation. Now the group is without a doctor, and the whole thing could have been avoided if he had just let Abraham keep him out of trouble. That's true. I don't know. I think I think Eugene redeemed himself by actually having a plan when he was hostage. Well, it wasn't a plan. He was just looking for a moment. It wasn't a plan. It was a Hail Mary. It was a, what if I, if I try this, it may backfire, but we're already pretty screwed anyway, so uh, might as well give it a shot. Yeah, but shouldn't he be commended for doing something, for giving it a shot? Otherwise, they all would have died, for sure. Yes. I mean, he took a shot and said, okay, we all still might probably die, but you never know what's going to happen if I bite this guy in the dick. That's right. Right? Yeah, so when in doubt, bite. Bite. bite but don't bite. Bite a dick. Bite bad. <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, there you go. All right. So next we have a call from Anonymous on the internet. Yes, we do. When you call in or email in, everybody, let us know your name and where you're from. It's much cooler. Can we talk about the science of biting a dick for a second? Um, I don't know. I haven't bit any dicks ever, um, but... I would think that the ability to just, like, go into someone's jeans and just bite it would be kind of weird. Like, wouldn't that be kind of difficult to do? Uh, I mean, I guess uh, it's a good thing to just wear briefs because you're more tucked and you're not going to have a chance of anyone, you know, especially any hostages you might have in the day biting your dick. But I don't... I'm trying to figure out that one. How, how, what is the angle you go for? Like, I feel like if I did that, I would have just ran into the jeans or something. Um, so I don't know. What, what's your take on the biting a dick thing? So your take, the, the, the problem I have and what, what this listener is saying is that jeans are a pretty, uh, thick, um, 
Not very material. flexible fabric, thick material. Well, and they were designed originally as work pants. Protection, right? yeah. They're, they're protect- they have a, you know, it's not great protection. They're not very warm, ultimately, but they are, they are tough so that if you scrape up against something, you're a little bit protected. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, biting someone through jeans could be tough, but a lot of jeans these days are made with spandex. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're, they look like blue jeans, but they're not. Mm-hmm. My wife has a whole range of blue jeans that are not actually blue jeans. They're actually stretchy pants that look like blue jeans. My blue jeans are actual blue jeans. Yeah, me too. I, I'm not sure what the white was wearing, but uh, it could have been, uh, you know, faux jeans. It could have been. I still think the point kind of stands, though. Like, it's it's got to be difficult to actually get your teeth on something in that region through a pair of pants. Maybe, maybe not. I've been bitten a couple of times. I'm not sure I've ever – yes, it was in the 90s. <laughs> yes. uh, I've been bitten a couple of times. One time uh, I was bit on the arm by a person through a winter coat, and that was a pretty tough coat. Uh-huh. They didn't break the skin or anything, but they got a good uh, vice grip-like bitey bite on my arm, and it hurt like a son of a bitch, and there was a huge bruise. Okay. And the other time I was bit was bit on my other arm without any uh, material protecting me, and that also hurt a hell of a lot. Sure. So biting someone through the jeans, you don't have to rip and tear. Like you're not going to tear out a chunk or cause, uh, you know, break the skin or anything like that. But you, you know, if you get lucky, you could get to the point where there's just a little bit of uh, on the jeans something that sticks out just a tiny little bit, <laughs> like maybe a penis. <laughs> If the jeans are sufficiently tight enough. Sure. And stretchy enough. Sure. Uh, so maybe if you can just, you, you know, everything's just right and Dwight's sufficiently distracted by something else because, you know, if somebody's going towards my crotch with uh, what I perceive as an intent on biting, I'm going to like do a sphincter tightening kind of uh, <laughs> motion that will bring my uh, sensitive, sensitive genitalia away from the <laughs> bitey area of whatever's going on down there so <laughs> right but he so so maybe dwight was distracted yes and that uh, eugene just uh, everything just came together in a perfect uh synchronous uh serendipity where uh eugene got a hold of the slight penisy bulge in the uh in the area there and the genes weren't all that uh maybe it was uh I don't know. Maybe there was no fly or zipper. Maybe they were just pull-up stretchy jeans. I don't know what he was wearing. I, I, I think what you're saying is you don't need to get a lot. You just yeah. need to get anything. <laughs> yeah, just just a just a tiny little bit, and then once you are uh, grabbing on, uh, you know, it can hurt a hell of a lot, even though it's through yeah. um, through some protective material. And the other thing, we don't know if he actually, you know, got his got his his mouth grip on on his junk like maybe he got a a piece of thigh or something like that oh and that's bad too Mm -hmm. that's bad too where you yeah don't yeah that's a very sensitive area that's what that's what i mean like maybe you you that whole that whole genital area is uh you know (laughs) you just off limits for biting off limits yeah 100 percent off limits you just get anything in your mouth down there and 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 you get the bite down involved it's not a good thing so yeah yeah don't bite people yeah so um I, I'm. It's. I, I thought the same thing when I saw it. It's like got to be pretty hard to bite through jeans. But I guess. I guess if you just get anything, you're you're okay. And and at the very least, you just headbutted the guy in the crotch. So. But, oh yeah, that might that might have worked too. Like his arms were tied behind him, right? Yeah. So he just so it's like bobbing for apples. 
<laughs> or something. Maybe he was always skilled at uh, bobbing for apples at the fair. And during would they do that during Halloween? Don't they bob for apples? Yeah, sounds like a Halloween thing. I've never, I've never actually bobbed for apples. You should try it someday. But maybe, uh, maybe Eugene is a world champion apple bobber, uh, and therefore used his apple bobbing skills for uh, distracting Dwight in uh, a little crotch bobbling. Yeah, a little bobbing. crotch 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 bobbing. There you go. For, <laughs> new new activity at the fair, the Halloween fair this year, crotch bobbing. Yeah, well, yeah. What kind of fairs do you go to? Jeez. Yeah, I said it's new. Uh, all right. Well, we got two more. I don't remember who's who now. You do who next. All right. It's a call from Barbara in California. Okay, guys. I just wanted to uh, weigh in on the whole Saviors and Negan group and how big are they and how strong are they. Um, when Daryl was walking through the Blackened Forest with the people that ended up stealing his motorcycle, um, they say the place they had been from the very beginning was so big they did not know everyone. And so that would be a couple of years that they'd been there and they still didn't know everyone. I'm betting that Negan's group is going to be a little harder to beat than what we've seen so far. Just my opinion. Thanks for the podcast, guys. This is Barbara in California. Love ya. Bye. <laughs> Love you too, Barbara. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, I was a little clicky on that audio. Sorry about that. But um, uh, I remember now I wanted to include this here just towards the end, and maybe I should have put it after the last one. But um, because I think Barbara hits on something that is going to be important and, you know, be bad for our group of characters when you consider the fact of how mean they've been to the Saviors people so far. Uh, this might be a really, really large community of Saviors when you think about Dwight and everybody saying that we don't know everybody there. I mean, that's got to be a pretty big group to be in the yep. in the zombie apocalypse and not sort of know everyone in your community. So even though they've killed 20 or 30 of their people so far, if there's 300 people there or more... That's that means there's an, an awfully big force to contend with now. Yeah, they're definitely going to be uh, something that our our intrepid heroes have to contend with. That uh, probably will be a little bigger than they anticipate. Yeah, a little bit tougher than than what we've seen so far. Yep, because we've we've encountered resistance, but it's all been relatively easily overcome. Even when two people have been captured. By a, a group of uh, well-armed, well-organized people, they were able to uh, overcome that uh, overcome that situation mm -hmm. within a single episode. So it wasn't uh, you know a few hours, maybe they figured out how to, uh, how to get rid yeah. of them a, a day. And then even when uh, we have a successful ambush, a very successful ambush where uh, our heroes were outnumbered like three to one, the uh, the ambushers still failed mm -hmm. right they they managed to kill one person before the ambush just as a uh you know surprise we're here kind of uh announcement of their arrival rather than uh killing them outright because they wanted them to do something else but uh, even when like I'm, uh, my point is when even when they're ambushed and they're completely outnumbered uh our intrepid heroes are able to overcome but i don't think that's going to happen all the time. No, not the next time, or maybe the next time, but not the time after that. Uh, but when you think about it, maybe that wasn't exactly the perfect ambush. It was the perfect ambush setup, but you don't fire one crossbow bolt and then come out of the woods. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's the warning. That's like saying, hey, we're here. 
and you know and then surprising people but i don't know still though you, your point is valid where they were outnumbered at three or four to one everyone had guns on them and they still came out unscratched mostly yeah mostly all right one more email jason all right so we have carter in california i guess you can call dwight white now because eugene uh, because thanks to eugene he has no d <laughs> so we have to change dwight to white because he lost the d uh, but as we talked about, maybe not, maybe he just lost the tip. Well, I don't think anything, uh, I don't think he broke the skin. I just think that he's going to have a big penis bruise for the next little while. And it's going to hurt like a bitch. Probably. <laughs> you don't want a big penis bruise. No, no, never. you did not. All right. That is it for the feedback, the calls and the emails. There was tons this week a couple weeks ago we didn't get as much but man people went crazy this week writing in so thank you so much for all of that um in some ways i'm kind of glad we had an extra day between podcasts this week because it gave me two nights to organize it all instead of one but uh it's fantastic it's great to hear from everyone we are really quick gonna do this next week on the walking dead so the title of the episode next week Coming up on Sunday is East. East. Just one word, East. So if you have title reads that you want to send in, and I actually have a couple already, but uh, I'm sure there are more people out there that want to read the title. So record yourself in your computer or your phone or whatever and send it to us via email. I'll try to play it uh, before our recap on Monday night. East is the title. It's directed by Michael E. Satrazimus, who has done a bunch of other Walking Dead episodes. And this is interesting. The writer on this one is Scott M. Gimple and Channing Powell. So showrunner at least co-wrote oh, this episode. Uh, people are going to die. They might. Um, the season. This is episode 15 for season six. That means there's only one more after it. That one is directed by Greg Nicotero. You always know he gets the big episodes. No writer listed for that one yet, though, so we don't know if Gimple or Kirkman wrote it or something. We don't know. Maybe it's all ad-libbed. They just <laughs> let the cameras roll. Greg Nicotero's like, just roll it. You know, guys know your characters by now. Do some stuff. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's a silent episode. There's no writing. It's just, uh, well, I guess you still need a writer for, you know, screenplay stuff, but uh, who knows? We'll see. We'll see what yeah, happens. Maybe it's just everybody sitting in a room talking, like uh, a la Quentin Tarantino, mm -hmm. but it's completely ad-libbed. There's no actual writers. The uh, the, the cast members just uh, act in character. You still need stage direction, though. Like, you still need setting and things like that. Yeah, and writers Start talking now. How hard could that be? <laughs> All right, fine. All right, cut. <laughs> All right, keep talking. <laughs> and go. <laughs> and that's a wrap. Anyway, so that's that's the week after, though. Let's not worry about that now. Um, what we need to worry about right now is East. If you want your title reads, send that in to us. All right. And that is the end. So, uh, we're going to wrap things up here. This was a longer than usual feedback show, but I guess that's because we got more, like I said. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want to help out, of course, use, uh, well, go to visit us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the talking dead. Check out how you can make a, a small monthly, uh, contribution there. Or even easier sometimes for some people is to use our Amazon links, am uh, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon, and uh, click through to the store of your choice. And then a small cut comes back to us. So those are great ways. And uh, leave us some reviews on iTunes, too. That would be fantastic. Um, if you want to get something back for that, you can go and enter our current giveaway for uh, 
the uh, the book we're giving away. Check that out at our website as well. All right, that's going to do it. We will be back on Monday night when we're here to recap the next episode of The Walking Dead called East. It's the anti-penultimate episode for the season, Jason. Anti-penultimate? No, it's the penultimate. I mean, this one yeah, was the so anti-penultimate. It's not the... <laughs> so it's uh it is the opposite to the next to the darkest portion of the shadow that's that's, pen, that's penumbra sorry <laughs> yeah that's almost correct sorry yeah yeah, yeah. penultimate is second last anti-penultimate is third last which we just did there you go so all right that's called east uh until next time you need to be able to learn how to contact us <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the Talking Dead, or email at Talking Dead Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Now I can say until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.